Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of this week. We pray that you would strengthen us, all of us, to strive to do your will, to be an example to others. Father, we thank you for the blessings you have given to each one of us. We pray that your blessings and your provision would be here at this assembly, and also all those worshiping you in spirit and truth today. Father, we thank you now, and would you give you all praise and thanks, and we we uh, recognize Yahweh your greatness, and we just uh, give you all honor, and all is all is, all is yours. And we uh, ask this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all may be seated. It is a blessing to see all here today. Did not know how many we would have with this uh, being Thanksgiving weekend, but certainly uh, more than I thought. So uh, it's a blessing to uh, to see everybody here. I'd also like to extend a. Greetings to our guests. They've been here, I guess, before, but certainly welcome to have you all here, too. You know, one of Yahshua's most common ways of teaching was through parables. We see this all throughout the evangels. Yahshua was speaking in parables. Today, I want to talk about one of the most famous of these, and that is the parable of the sower. And what we can glean and learn from this parable, I believe that this parable is very relevant for us today, maybe even more than what we've realized in the past, the lessons we can learn, especially from a ministry standpoint and what we see. In fact, I believe it answers why so many people never respond to the call and also why so few do respond, why so few have the conviction, the dedication to continue on in this walk. In this parable, the Messiah describes four different scenarios leading to four different outcomes. Three of the outcomes are negative. One of the outcomes is positive. I want to begin today by reading through the parable, though. So, let's see here. Matthew 13. I'm going to read this from Scripture. I don't have all of it on the slide here. But Matthew 13, as we know, Matthew 13 has a slew of parables. And it begins with this parable, the parable of the sower. Maybe, maybe the most famous, again, of all the parables we find throughout Scripture. But I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 23, so quite a few verses today. Normally I don't read quite that much, but I want to fully understand what Yahshua is conveying here. So beginning there in Matthew 13, it says, The same day went Yahshua out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship to and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up because they had no deepness of earth. By the way, just as a side note, this happens today with the barley in Israel. They call that goat grass because it doesn't it matures very quickly, but there's no substance to it because it grows among the stony places. So this is something you actually see today. Verse 6, it says, When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And that's what happens with that, the... Uh, the uh, goat grass, again, as they call us barley, but it's uh, anemic. 
It's not, a, it's not mature, and it withers very quickly. Verse 7, if some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came to him, unto him, why speakst thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whatsoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. And we'll see that, in fact, in a parable, another parable we're going to read later in this message. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. In fact, just as another quick side note, the concept of parables is found in the book of Isaiah, for those who may not be familiar with that. He quotes here Isaiah 6, he says, "And, And in them is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Isaiah spoke those words, and here the Messiah is repeating them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see these, those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Hear you, therefore, the parable of the sower. So he's explaining now the meaning behind this parable. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes a wicked one, Satan the devil, we know, the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in stony places is the same as he that hears the word and anon with joy receives it. Yet hath he not root in himself but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Lastly here, Yahshua says, but he that receives seed into good ground is he that hears a word and understands it, which also bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. I want to begin here by asking, why did our Savior speak in parables? Why did Yahshua speak in parables? Where he explains here the reason for this, in verse 11 he says, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. You know, I compare and I view Yahshua's parables as a type of encryption. Encryption. Now this is mainly an IT thing nowadays, but encryption. I want to share with you the meaning of encryption. And this is from uh, Wikipedia. It says, encryption is a process that, quote, 
converts your original representation of the information known as plain text into an alternative form known as a ciphertext. Ideally, only authorized parties can decipher a ciphertext back to plain text and access the original information. Encryption does not itself prevent interference, but denies the intelligible content to a would-be interceptor. So that's the meaning of encryption. So in plain English, encryption is a way to ensure that those who are not meant to understand the message would not understand. That's the meaning of encryption. This, again, is why Yahshua spoke in parables. It was a way to encrypt or to conceal the meaning of his message. Those who were not meant to hear the message would not understand the message. Those who were meant to hear the message would hear the message and understand the meaning behind the message. Again, it's a form of spiritual encryption. As we know from Scripture, Yahshua gave more than 30 parables throughout his ministry. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. 30 parables. Maybe even gave more. We certainly know that Yahshua spoke words that are not recorded. He really enjoyed speaking in parables. I suspect there's probably more parables that he spoke. But we know from the word that he at least spoke 30 parables. So let's talk about this parable here, the parable of the sower. What do we find within this passage? We find, again, four different outcomes or scenarios. So the first outcome is the fowls come and they devour the seed. Falls to the wayside and, again, the birds devour that. Or that represents Satan snatching the seed before it can take root. That's the meaning of that, of that imagery. Second one is that the seed falls among stony places. Now, this refers to those who are unable to endure sound or endure tribulation or persecution. Next one here is a seed that falls among the thorns. This represents those who care too much for this world. And because of their concern and care for this world, it pulls them away from Yahweh. We're going to see examples, talk more about that. Lastly, here we find the seed that falls on good soil. And this represents those who produce fruit, who do something, who are devoted, who stays with it. And we find here that from those, we find that some produce 30-fold, some produce 60-fold, and some produce 100-fold. And the first one, Yahshua here speaks about how, again, birds come and they devour the seed before it ever took root. Based on Yahshua's own explanation, we know that this represents Satan snatching again the seed away before it can take root, before there's something that is produced. Now, in the second scenario, again, we find that that falls in stony places is a tribulation. And we've gone through this. And lastly, again, the good ground, this would represent those who produce fruit to do something with what they receive. Notice, just real quickly, I'm not going to get into this at this point, but those who do produce fruit, they don't all produce the same amount of fruit. They don't all produce the same yield of fruit. Some produce 30, some 60, and some 100. I do believe that there's a purpose and meaning behind even this, and we'll talk more about this as we go through this message. So from this parable, we find again three negative outcomes and one positive outcome. Obviously, we would all want to be part of this one positive outcome, the seed that falls on good ground, the seed that produces, the seed that produces some sort of results, which leads again to a, a fold a, 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 a uh, uh, again, a pr- production of faith. 
You know, as I've shared, I believe this answers why so many hear the word and never respond. And why so few hear the word and do respond and stays with it. The remainder of this message, I want to consider each one of these outcomes separately, talk about them in more detail. I'm going to begin here with, again, where it says Satan snatches away the word, the birds, where they eat the seed before it can take root. I call this group the silent majority. This group is a silent, why do I call it the silent majority? Well, the reason is, is you will never hear from the majority of those who receive the word. You will never hear from this group. It's a vast group. There's a lot of seed that's thrown out there, and many of these people, or most all of these people in this case, you will never hear from. These are the silent majority. For me, the best example of this is when we were on national TV with our Discover the Truth program. Millions of possible viewers, certainly thousands were watching. We were sending hundreds, some weeks 800 booklets through this program. But very few did anything with it. Their seed, it never, it never produced anything. The same is also true for many who visit our website. Also many who watch our videos online. Again, they hear the word. They receive the word, but they never do anything with it. Satan snatches that word away before it can take root. Again, these people are the silent majority. They will never respond. You will never hear from this demographic. You will never hear from this group. Because, again, Satan snatches that seed away before they can ever understand the meaning. I want to share with you some statistics to drive this point home. So um, here, is, here are the statistics. I believe this is a website. So overall, if I read this right, all time we've had 1,548,685 views on our website. Now, I don't know that when that's been. That's been probably in the last six years, if I had to guess. We had a new website. But 1.5 million views from our website. We don't have millions here today worshiping. And yet we've had 1.5 million views from our website. So this is our YouTube page. So watch hours. So the hours watched, not minutes, but hours is 944,336. It's hours. It's a lot of hours. But again, we don't see that in the audience. We don't see that on the broadcast. Because again, much of the seed fell to the wayside. And the birds snatched the seed before it could ever take root. Also see a, another statistic here, views, if I understand, if I'm reading this right, I believe I am. We've had 16 million views, almost 17 million views online. Now again, you don't see 17 million people within this faith, but we've had 17 million. I believe this does a great job illustrating this point. There's a lot of seed thrown out there. A lot of people, they've heard the message. They've heard some truth, but they never respond. They never take action. As we find in this parable, the birds come, they snatch it away, they eat the seed. Satan snatches it away, has some meaning, and they never progress. No root is developed, and no action is taken. Again, the silent majority. 
those who hear the word but never receive the word. You know, this follows exactly with what Joshua describes within this parable. Again, before they can understand the information, Satan comes and snatches it away. I want to move on now and talk about the second outcome, the second scenario we find. And this is a seed that falls in stony places. Again, I gave the example of the, the goat grass, as they call it, the barley that is that falls or grow naturally within these stony places. They're anemic. They're anemic. And they're anemic because they don't have the right nutrition, because there's not good soil. And for that reason, they spring up very quickly, but they have no root and they have no endurance. And that's exactly what we find within this parable. Second Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 3, Paul speaks about, about a great falling away. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except, that, except there come a falling away first, and that, son, that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called Elohim or that is worshipped, so that he is Elohim sits in the temple of Elohim, showing, showing, showing himself that he is Elohim. What is this passage describing? It's talking about the man of sin, the anti-Messiah, the son of perdition. Same thing, same person. We also find here that Paul speaks about a great falling away. And I believe that deception will be the main reason for this falling away. We can remember Yahshua's first sign in the Olivet Prophecy. Yahshua prophesied, there he said, let no man deceive you. Yahshua's first sign in the Olivet Prophecy was all about deception, not to be deceived. So we, that persecution will occur at this time. And I believe that because of persecution that many will fall away just as we find through this parable. But beyond the parable, we also know that we certainly see this. I believe that many of these believers will fall away again because they simply don't have the, the root. They don't have the fortitude. They don't have the strength. And you know what? It takes strength to remain in this faith. It takes fortitude to remain in this faith. To understand that this faith requires us to have that endurance, to have that root, to have that courage, to have that strength. As we see in this parable, the seed that lands in stony places, it does not have the depth of root to withstand these elements. does not have the depth of root to withstand the tribulations and persecutions. And as we get closer to the end, we're going to have greater persecutions than we see now, for a moment, let's talk about how this translates for you and me. As a believer, it's essential that we have a strong root to withstand whatever tribulation we encounter within this life. That is an absolute must, and that's an, that, that, is a, that, is a, that is a truth we find and a lesson we find within this passage. Now, I'm not a botanist, but I know that the deeper the root, the stronger the plant. The deeper the root, the stronger the plant. In fact, it's amazing how deep... Now, some roots go wide, by the way. Learn that during a little bit of research for this message because, again, I'm not a botanist. But I also learned that there's an amazing tree. And that tree is called the shepherd's tree of all things, shepherd's tree. It's native to the Kalahari Desert in South Africa. And it has the deepest documented roots. And the roots, they say, go down 230 feet. 230 feet. So here's an illustration, it's just a depiction of the uh, root system of the shepherd's tree. 
again, 230 feet. As a believer, it's important that we ensure that our spiritual roots are deep and grounded within the faith because we will all face tribulation of some kind. If not, as we see in this parable, when tribulation and trials come, and believe me, they will come, we're not going to have the strength or the endurance or the conviction to withstand those trials. So there's a great lesson here for us, I believe. There's a great lesson within this parable for you and I. This need of having strong roots, this need of having a strong conviction, this need of having courage and deep faith in the one we worship. I can't tell you the number of people whom I've uh, seen walk away from the faith because of tribulation or persecution. It happens more frequently than what we would like to see. Often this persecution comes from family members or employers who are opposed or may be inconvenienced because of our faith. And we've all seen examples of that. An example is a Sabbath. You know, this is a challenge for a lot of people. The Sabbath, especially for employers, but even family. As a disciple of the Messiah, we should never allow anyone to persuade us against what we believe in. Nothing in this life, and this is something I really want you to pay attention to, nothing in this life means more to us or should mean more to us than Yahweh, his word, and the promise we find within it. Nothing should mean more to us. Nothing should pull us away. There is nothing on this earth, on the earth, that would justify us forsaking the promise that we have today. This means that we must obey him. This means that we must always put him first. In Revelation 2, beginning in verse 9, we find the reward of those who remain strong in the tribulation. It says, there I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. They're rich. Why? They're rich because of their faith. That's why they're rich. It says, and I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things, those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be ye faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. And before we talk about the uh, tribulation, as we find, I want to focus for just a few moments on this phrase, which say are they, are, they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Some will attribute these Jews to the uh, current Jews in the land of Israel. And uh, some will say then that the current Jews in Israel are Edomites or some other foreign people. And, and uh, for me, uh, based on my knowledge, there's no historical or biblical evidence of such a claim. can't substantiate this claim. For me, this is nothing more than anti-Semitism. And I hope that none of us would share this, that the Jews in Israel today are, again, fake Jews that these Jews are Edomites or from other, some other foreign land. So who then would represent those who claimed they, uh, to be Jews here, but were not? For many, as I do, believe that this is simply referring to those Jews who were hostile to the faith, who were hostile to the believers of the New Testament. And we see that. We see examples of that. And we certainly see examples in, in early history of the assembly and how many persecuted. And believe it or not, the Jews were at the root of much of that. 
They, they hated those in the Messiah, many of them. Now, I also want to say this. Obviously, not all Jews share this hostility. You know, I'm very, very, um, even though, as we know, uh, the Jews today in the land of Israel, the, uh, they're, they're pretty liberal. And so they do some pretty awful things. But I believe that the Jews are and were and always will be the apple of Yahweh's eye. In fact, as we find in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 12, I believe it is, it talks about how Yahshua's going to come back to Jerusalem. And when he does, it says that those of Judah and those of Benjamin and the land of Israel is going to mourn as they would mourn for their only son when they realize that this is the returning Messiah. So the uh, certainly would never, never want to paint all Jews in this way. But from a historical standpoint, we know that they were fairly hostile to the early assembly. And I believe this, this is a, who this is referring to. But certainly, again, not referring to uh, Jews today as, as Edomites or some other crazy belief. Now, what about the uh, tribulation here? Yahshua here, and he's writing, by the way, to John of Patmos. We know that. And uh, so he says that some of you will be thrown into prison and you will suffer death. But he says, be faithful unto the end. Now, the most important part here is a promise. What promise do we find here? Or we see here that those who are faithful unto the end, that they're going to receive the crown of life. They're going to receive everlasting life. Those who are faithful to the end. If we don't, as we find with in this parable, we will not survive without a strong root, without courage, without deep faith. And that's the message I really want to convey here, the importance of, again, having this strong root. We see this example that a strong root, this conviction, was essential. As Yahshua said, if you survive these 10 days, if you hold firm these 10 days, if you don't give up during these 10 days, if you suffer through these 10 days, then I'm going to give you the crown of life. But they had to suffer through those 10 days. And they had to be faithful for those 10 days. Now, I don't know what it's going to be for you and I, but I do believe we all suffer our own trials and tribulation. And whatever that is, we have to be faithful for that time. And if we're faithful, if we're devoted, if we stay with it, if we don't deviate from the course, as we see here, we too will receive the crown of life. But we have to, as it says here, stay with it, not to deviate. And this parable, Yahshua goes on to talk about how some of the seed fell among the thorns. And as we know, this represents those who, who fall away because they love the world more than they love their creator. And we certainly see that today. Over the years, I've seen many people come and go from the faith for this reason. Their love for this world was more than their love for Almighty Yahweh. For me, there's no better example than for the love of money. I say love of money, by the way, is money is not bad. Now, the love of money is bad. So you see there's a difference between money and the love of money. We should never love money. We should never put money on, on that level. We should never make money our number one focus. But the love of money is not good because then it distracts us. It pulls our faith away. Now, that's one example. There's many examples. Many people have fallen away from, a, from the faith because they valued their wealth more than they valued Yahweh. You know, I believe 
this is also why so few believers tithe. Even though 10% of our income is holy to Yahweh, and he said that. He wrote the book, not me. But many believers simply don't do this. In fact, I would say there's probably less, probably single digits who really, who really do this. Now, there's an example that I recently shared in a message. I want to share that again, and that is of the young rich man here. So Mark 10, 17 through 23 says, And Yahshua started on his way, and a man ran to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Yahshua answered. No one is good except Yahweh alone. That's such a critical statement there. Now, does that mean that Yahshua had any sin, by the way? Or Yahshua was without sin, we know that. How do we explain that? Well, I believe the answer is Yahweh's holiness is greater than the Son's holiness. You see, Yahweh is on his own level of holiness than, than even the Son. And Yahshua here, he recognizes that, that, that Yahweh, his Father, is so solemn and so holy that even the Son is not good, not good in, those, in, in, in that standard or in that way. It says, no one is good except Yahweh alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not be a false witness testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So this was an observant believer. He was doing these things. Yahshua looked at him and loved him. Notice that. Yahshua had a conviction for this man. He wanted this man to succeed. He wanted this man to receive blessings. He loved this man. And he goes on to say, one thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Yahshua looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of Yahweh. Notice he doesn't say impossible, by the way, but it's hard. It's hard. You know, we find a great lesson here within this passage. We see here that this young man came to Yahshua asking what he had to do to receive eternal life. Yahshua mentions here several commandments. And this man verified, he says, look, he says, since a small child, I've done these things. I'm doing all of these things. I'm, I'm observing these commandments. Where after this, Yahshua, again, after he says, I, he loved this man. He loved this man. He looks at this man. He says, there's one thing you lack. And he tells this man to go sell everything he had and give it to the poor. To give everything you have. And again, this man had abundance. This man had wealth. This man was rich. As we see here, when this man heard Yahshua say these words, he responded negatively. His face fell, and he walked away sad. You see, he could not do what Yahshua was wanting and asking him to do. But think about what this man was being offered. Think about the blessings this man was being offered. He was being offered companionship with Yahshua the Messiah. Yahshua told him to follow him. You see, Yahshua was saying, come and be my companion. 
And also he is being offered a treasure in heaven. If he would simply sell what he had, give it to the poor, he could have, could have had companionship with the Messiah and the promise of eternal life within his kingdom, within Yahweh's kingdom. But again, as we know from the story, walked away, sad, and as far as we know, never received this promise. Now, we don't know what this man did later on. Maybe, maybe he lived a good life, but he had a great opportunity, and he passed it up. He gave it up because he cared more for his wealth, more for the world, than he did for Almighty Yahweh. Now, this reminds me of what Yahshua said about mammon. In Matthew 6, verse 24, Yahshua said these words. He says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve Yahweh and mammon. And mammon basically is wealth. We cannot serve both Yahweh and wealth. Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with wealth. As long as we don't make wealth our focus. As long as we don't make wealth our priority. As long as we realize that wealth has its place, but Yahweh is our priority. And this man, he could not come to that point. As believers, if we allow anything within this world to come between us and Yahweh, we may forfeit our eternal salvation. And there's one thing I know for sure, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. There is nothing in this life that is worth us forfeiting eternal life within his kingdom. And I don't care, you can think all year long. You can make a list a mile long. And I can assure you there is nothing on that list. There is nothing you could think of. There is nothing that you could ponder in your own mind that would justify forsaking the most important promise in this universe. And that is the promise of everlasting life within Yahweh's kingdom. There is nothing. We can search far and wide. And I can assure you today, I can promise you today, that there is no promise greater than the promise that we have within this book. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, we find a man who, who also had an issue with the world. doesn't say much here. But it says, for Demas hath forsaken me. This is Paul. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So Paul writes here about a man named Demas. And he says here that this man forsook him. What was the reason for this man forsaking Paul, do we know? Or it says here that he loved this present world. We really don't know much about Demas. All we know is... He is mentioned elsewhere. In fact, I'll read the uh, pulpit commentary. It says this about Demas. There's nothing more is known of Demas than what is gathered from the mention of him in Colossians 4.14 and Philemon 1 verse 24. So he is mentioned elsewhere. So as we learn from these passages that he was a fellow laborer of, of the apostles, so he worked with Paul. goes on to say, It is remarkable that in them both he is coupled as here with Luke and Mark. So we also know that he had a connection with Luke and Mark. Having loved this present world, it would appear from this that Demas had not the faith or the courage to run the risk of sharing Paul's imprisonment or imminent martyrdom, I should say, at Rome, but left him while he was free to do so under pretense of an, of an urgent call to Thessalonica. 
just as Paul left, uh, Mark left Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, verse 13. So as we see here, many commentators believe that Demas did not have the courage and the faith to go with Paul, fearing that he too would be martyred, fearing that he too would suffer the same fate as the apostle Paul. Of course, we really don't know what Paul's fate was. But again, this is an assumption based on the little bit of information we have. We really, again, just don't know a whole lot about Demas. What we do know is that he forsook the Apostle Paul. And we know that he forsook the Apostle Paul because he loved this present world more. That's all we know. We also know that he was a laborer. He knew Paul. He knew Luke. He knew Mark. But for whatever reason, he forsook Paul. As believers, we should not follow the example of Demas. If we love this world more than Yahweh, then I believe we again may forfeit our eternal salvation. And again, remember that this is all within the parable of the sower. We haven't referred back to the parable of the sower in a while, but this is all based on the parable of the sower. The seed that fell among the thorns. And this represents those who are choked by the world, choked by the love they have for the world. Whether that be money, that, whether that be relationship, whether that be employment, whether that be hobbies, whether that be wives, whether that be whatever it is. They are choked by the world. They love the world more than they love Yahweh. Because of that, they fall away from the faith. Is there anything in this world that would justify losing the promise of Yahweh's kingdom? Where the answer, again, is obviously not. There is no promise. There is no gain in this world that would justify forsaking what we have through Yahweh's word. This reminds me of when Yahshua was fasting. We know that Yahshua fasted for the 40 days. He went without food and, and drank water. After these 40 days, we know that Satan came to Yahshua, tempting him. At one point, Satan offers him all the kingdoms of this world. He only asks that Yahshua to fall down and worship him. That's it. All he had to do was fall down and to acknowledge Satan the devil. And he could have received all the kingdoms of this world. Or as we know from the story, Yahshua did not do this. His reply was, get you hence Satan, for it is written that you shall worship Yahweh Elohim, and him only shall you serve. There was no price for Yahshua the Messiah. There was no price that would, uh, that would motivate him to forsake his Father in heaven. He was completely committed, as we should be now. There should be nothing in this world that should come between us and Yahweh, nothing. Again, whether it's our spouses, whether it's our family, whether it's our work, whether it's our hobbies, whether it's our school, whatever it is, Nothing should come between Yahweh and us. There is, there's just nothing. There's, nothing, there's no, no motivation that would ever justify leaving and forsaking this promise. I want to move on now and talk about the uh, seed that falls on good soil. Whereas well, we see in this parable, it says that some seed produced 30, 60, and some even produced 100-fold. Now, as we know, this refers to those believers who produce results through their faith, through their devotion, through their conviction. They do something. They're active. They, meet, they remain with it. They don't give up. They live 
the faith. They refuse to compromise, again, what they know to be right. And they are pleasing to their Father in heaven. This is those, this is what the seed represents that fell on good ground. It represents those believers who hold firm, who don't deviate, who live a life pleasing, and who will never compromise what they know to be right. This is those who would be represented by the seed that fell in good soil. It's an acknowledgement, it's an understanding, and more importantly, it's a living for Almighty Yahweh. Now, what about the meaning behind the uh, different yields? Again, Psalms 30, 60, and 100. What's the meaning of this? Or again, as I uh, believe, I believe that this uh, production of these different yields show different levels of conviction, devotion, sacrifice, faith. Some believers come into the faith and do what I view as the, as the um, bare minimum. They come in, but they do the bare minimum. And that's fine for some. But they come in and they do the bare minimum. Or I believe that this would represent those who produce 30-fold. They produce fruit. They have a yield. But their yield is smaller than most. Because they come in and they produce the bare minimum. One thing I've learned over the years as a minister is, is um, or minimum is never enough in this position. It's never enough. And um, it's easy for believers to kind of get caught up in their own lives and not look at the big picture. But I believe it's important that we all really examine our lives and examine what we're producing. But again... I believe that this is what this represents. Some come in, they will give the bare minimum. This represents the 30-fold. And then you have some willing to come in and just give it all. They give it all. They sacrifice. They are devoted. They stay with it. They're there to help. They just go over and above in every which way. And I believe that this is those who would represent the 100-fold. You see, their production yield is greater because their faith is greater. Their devotion is greater. The actions are greater. The help and the sacrifice they give to others are greater. They focus less upon themselves and they focus more on others. All of these reasons would produce a greater yield. The hundredfold. So one of the lessons we find here is that we can be a believer, but we will not all produce the same yield we will not all produce the same level of fruit that others will produce. Now, this is certainly something I've seen in my 20-plus years in the ministry. Not every believer, again, rises to the same level. Now, whether we're producing 30, 60, or 100-fold, again, I do believe that we all will receive eternal life. So what's the difference? So if someone producing 30-fold over here and somebody producing 100-fold over here, if we all receive eternal life... Or why worry about trying to produce a greater yield? Why worry about trying to get better? Why worry about trying to go beyond where we're at currently? If that 30-fold is good enough for eternal life, then what's the point? Why, why don't we just stay with that 30-fold and, and, and not worry about producing that 100-fold crop? I believe we find the answer to that in another parable. Of Yahshua's. This is the uh, parable of the, of the uh, pound or the talent, depending on the uh, version. 
I'm going to read again this from uh, Scripture here, so you ha- look at the slide, but you can read with me or, or just listen, doesn't matter, but Luke 19 is where we find this in, in Luke's Evangel, and we're going to read 11 through 27, so verse 11 through 27. It says, and they... And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of Yahweh should immediately appear. You know, there were many people back then, by the way, who believed that Yahweh's kingdom was imminent. I believe even some of the apostles thought this early on, that Yahweh's kingdom was going to happen immediately, that Rome was going to be vanquished and Yahweh's kingdom would be established. As we know, historically, that did not happen, but Yahweh's kingdom is closer today than it was 2,000 years ago. I can assure you of that. Verse 12, it says, And he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he said, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then the, he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your pound has gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, uh, well thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Master, thy pound hast gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Master, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared you, because you art an austere man, thou takes up what thou lay, uh, layest not down, and reap that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge you, you wicked servant. You knowest that I was an astir man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore, then gave not your my money into the bank, that it coming, I might have inquired mine own with usury or interest. He says, look, you know, at minimum, minimum, just take the money, put it in the bank, and you can earn some interest and give me something. Just don't put it in a napkin. Verse 24, and he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. Ten pounds. So now he has another pound. And they said unto him, Master, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. So what do we find within this parable? We see here that a uh, nobleman called his servants, gave them all a pound, gave them a pound, a talent. Again, this is monetary we're talking about. 
Now, when the man returned, he inspected what his servants gained with this one pound. The first servant gave an account, showed him that he gained 10 pounds. Second, showed that he had gained five pounds. But we find here the third, where he simply gave him the original pound. Did not gain anything, did not use his pound, his talent, the, the, the gift that Yahweh gave. No, he tucked it away, waiting for the nobleman to return. So how did this nobleman reply? Or to the one who gained 10 pounds, he gave 10 more pounds. To the one who gained five pounds, he gave five more pounds. But to the one who gained nothing, who simply kept his pound until the coming of the nobleman, we find here that his pound was taken. And it was given to the man who acquired 10 pounds during the time that the nobleman was away. This is the same message, I believe, that we find with a seed that fell on good ground. And really, I believe the parable of the sower is the man who had the pound did nothing with it. He did absolutely nothing with that seed. That seed never produced root. But for the two others that gained 10 pounds and gained 5 pounds, their seed produced root. They gained something. They produced something. They achieved something. And as a result, we find here this, through this parable that they received greater blessings. One, the one who received 10 pounds was given 10 cities. The one who received 5 pounds was given authority over 5 cities. The one who gained nothing or was given nothing, he received nothing because he did nothing with the pound that he was given by the nobleman. And this is the same message. And this is what the meaning is, I believe, between the 30, 60, and 100 fold. Those who produce 30 fold will be given less, and those who produce 100 fold will be given more. You see, we're all going to make it into the kingdom. Whether you produce 30, 60, or 100, they all produce fruit, they all produce a yield. But not all yield. Well, not all yields are equivalent. And I believe that those who produce a smaller yield because they simply did not have the same devotion, they would not go as far, they would not sacrifice when needed, they're going to receive less. But those who really went all the way with Yahweh's word, those who sacrificed, those who showed an incredible devotion and dedication and faith, or they're going to receive a greater reward, I believe, in the kingdom. And maybe it's going to be exactly what we find here, that they're going to be given authority over cities. I don't know what it will be exactly. Scripture doesn't divulge that, but I do believe that there's enough here to show that when we do more, we're going to be given more. And when we do less, we're going to be given less. We will all be there. But I don't believe that it's going to be equivalent or the same. It's going to be based on the devotion, the sacrifice, the, the dedication how far we were willing to go in this life. And I would ask all of you that. How far are you willing to go? Are you 
living for the 30 pounds? Are you living for the 60 pounds? Are you trying for that 100-pound yield? I do believe it matters. I do believe it will make a difference. I do believe it's important that we do our very best, that whatever gift, whatever talent, whatever we've been, we've been given in this life, that we use that for the work, that we use that for the body, that we use that to further, to further the message of Yahweh's truth. Now, there's another observation I want to make, and that is this. The majority of those who are called will not produce fruit and will not inherit eternal life. Yahshua, in Matthew 22, verse 14, he said there that many were called, but few were chosen. Many were called, but few were chosen. Think about all the seed we find mentioned within the parable of the sower. We find a lot of seed within that parable. Seed was thrown by the wayside. Seed was thrown in rocky places. Seed was thrown in among the thorns. And finally, some seed was thrown also in good soil. But about all that seed, only that fourth category produced fruit. So there was a lot of seed wasted. A lot of seed never produced anything. A lot of seed may have produced fruit, but then later was choked out. Maybe that seed suffered some sort of persecution, and they could not withstand that persecution, and they left, and they forsook the promise. Maybe they got opposition by their employer. Maybe they got opposition from their family. Maybe they got opposition from their professor. Maybe they got opposition or tribulation somewhere else. But inevitably, they gave it up because of that tribulation. You see, they had a root, but that root was not deep enough to sustain that tribulation. And again, the same would be true for the world and any other reason that that seed never produced anything. Or maybe it did, but yet we then sacrificed and we forsook that promise. Only a small fraction of those who are called will produce fruit and do anything with it. And again, from those who do something with it, a small fraction will only produce a hundredfold. I believe there's a great lesson there between the 30, 60, and 100. And I don't believe we really put enough focus on that. Most ministers, they really don't talk about that. as They just kind of, yeah, you can 30, 60, 100. No, there's meaning there. There's meaning. There's impact. And it's important that we understand that message, that impact. I want to leave you now with a word of caution. Just because we're here today does not mean we're going to be here tomorrow. Don't ever become proud. Don't ever become and develop the attitude that, that you're set, that there's nothing that could pull you away from the faith. Don't ever believe that, that, that you have received your crown yet. Don't ever believe that. Because you see, we don't know until, until Yahshua comes, until that day comes. Scripture says those who endure to the end shall be saved. So don't overbelieve that we're certain. Because listen, the seed that was thorn, thrown in stony places, they, they did produce a root, right? And the, the seed that was thorn, thrown among the thorns, they too produced a root. And those, those were believers, potentially. But for whatever reason, they were pulled away. They were snatched away. They withered away. And as believers, we should never be so confident that we are 
that we are, that nothing, again, could pull us away from the faith. We need to make sure that our roots are strong and that we never compromise his word for nothing. We should never compromise his word for nothing. Again, it's so important to keep in mind that nothing in this life is worth losing what lies ahead. And I would really impress it upon our young people especially. I like to really kind of focus on them at times. I know it's a pivotal age. It's so important that we, all of us understand that. But especially I think our young people, our teens and young teens and young adults, they realize that there's nothing in this life that is worth losing the promise of Yahweh's kingdom. I can't guarantee a lot of things. I can't. There's a lot I can't guarantee. I can't even guarantee if I'm going to be here. But what I can guarantee is that Yahweh's truth and his kingdom is worth it. I would hope that this message has been a blessing. I would also encourage everybody to really strive to produce fruit. But not just fruit, but a great yield for the kingdom. Yahweh's given us a great opportunity, and let's not waste it. Let's do our very best. Let's live our very best life we can live based on Yahweh's word, based on his commandments. And again, let us never compromise what we know to be right. I'm telling you now, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yahweh's truth, Yahweh's promises are too big to waste on stupid decisions. Put Yahweh first. And with that, may Yahweh bless you, may he guide you, and may we always pursue his word. May Yahweh bless you.